from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Welcome to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. And Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. It's me, David Heath, and Gretchen Brooks to my virtual right. How how are you all doing? How was your Halloween this this year? I was, it was really chill. I thought you said you were. It was you, David Heath. And I go, wait a minute. No, that's me. Yeah. No, I'm I'm of course DB Spitzer. But yes. <laughs> Yeah, so how was everyone's Halloween? Very chill. Nice. We watched um uh we watched a horror comedy and then a horror movie that was really unsettling and upsetting and then Whoa. we watched a little um uh one like a like a like a fun little short from um we watched one of the episodes of Goosebumps from Disney. Ooh. But yeah, we just kind of kept it chill, just like enjoyed and then I ate some snacks, hoped that we'd have some trick-or-treaters, which we didn't. So, yeah. Yeah, we, we never get trick-or-treaters out here. So my family does have a tradition, and I went to bed early, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, they all watch um, It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Oh, uh-huh. nice. Very cool, very cool. I, I as I generally do, uh, rode my velocipede up and down. Uh uh, a a uh, particular boulevard in Portland trying to smack candy out of children's hands, but it was too wet and everyone was not up and down Ohama, uh, not Ohama, Omaha Boulevard. So I couldn't <laughs> do that this year. Uh oh. Okay. Anyway, so what are we uh, what are we talking about this week? We are talking about. A name that is very difficult for me to pronounce. Yeah, same. I haven't heard it pronounced yet. Tolzucha. Tolzucha. Okay, so that's how that... Okay, in the story, I I was listening to the audio version of this story. Sure, yeah. Which, by the way, again, with the unreliable narrator, Lovecraft. Of of course. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I swear to God, it's... Okay, I mean... 
Is this a hot take? Is it like, does he write the same story, but basically like multiple versions of it and then give us different kind of endings and like different gods and things like that? Because I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, like his characters are fishes out of water that are in a strange man in a strange place, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They um, are, they accidentally come across the Necronomicon or that they've always wanted to read it and finally get to find a copy Mm -hmm. or, or. Um, gosh, there's so many tropes. Is it, is it just me or is that like, is that just his thing? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's the truth that we're buried with, uh, my great, 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 great grandfather in 1698 in Salem, in the Salem Commonwealth. Um, no, <laughs> these tropes are used so often in Lovecraft. It, it's, it's, it's like before he really went into the the uh cthulhu mythos because this is like i feel like uh the the uh the festival is kind of like cthulhu mythos light as opposed to like say shadow over Innsmouth, um or or yes. or whatnot but um it feels like the shadow over Innsmouth in a lot of ways yes yeah there's there's this like returning to your home Returning to the place that you're from, yes. but it, in this in this case, the the uh, visitor welcomes it and learns what their part of everything is, and has no problems writing on the back of uh, what what later are called by a key by I'm I'm gonna guess uh, Derlethian uh, heresies or or chaosium, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I think he uses the term. I'll have to double check that. Okay. But one thing about the festival is yes. that it's early too. Yes. It, it's written in 1923. Yes. Um, published a couple of years later. So it, it's like Dagon. Yeah. I think he reuses a lot of the stuff from Dagon from sure. the yes. festival. So yes, he does have a type yeah. is it a type i mean i wasn't certain if this was like would this consider be i don't feel like this is the right word trope is not the right word it's like it, it's just it's a it's device. like a, it's a proto story i feel like it's a proto version yeah. of one of his later stories and he does this time and time again and then like you have these like novelettes uh like at the mouth of madness or um uh Randolph Carter freaks out on a zebra. Um yeah. you know, I mean and and both of those stories have a lot of like more refined versions of some of the things that Lovecraft wrote about in poems or short stories. Um uh, but yeah, no. <laughs> but I have to say the first thing that made me laugh the first thing I thought when we were li- when I was listening to the story come unfold and I was like, "Oh, Wow, we're reading this story now—the days after Halloween—and yep. just like Safeway and Walmart, and got only Christmas stuff is already out. What the yeah. hell? <laughs> like <laughs> had that because it's such a—it has such a Christmas vibe. But it was so like, and also because at work today we have just launched Christmas as well, and I was like, really? I'm yep. not ready. Well, hey, I mean, you could always you could always celebrate the festival. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it sounds kind of groovy. You're like in this ascend descending staircase. You got yeah. these pillars of green flames that mm-hmm. are sentient. Yeah. 
I mean, you get to ride a bat monster. Yep. It's kind of like a vessel, right? Like a, yeah. Yeah. I mean, shit, that sounds fun. I mean, you get to hang out with, like, you know, wizards Your great, that grandpa. are made out of worms now. That's cool. I mean, depending on how you feel about worms, but yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty cool trick. <laughs> but I, I honestly, I really enjoyed it. I, I, don't, I have not read um, the festival. I'm appreciating these little short pieces that we're reading because it's, um, it's fun to kind of pick these apart a little bit. Yeah. They're, Oh yeah. And these yeah. are um like I said, I felt like uh like I said originally that it I just it just feels sort of used story. Oh, but yeah, now that yeah. I know that this is the first of them, mm-hmm, I understand. Mm-hmm. Takes place in Kingsport, which we've we've visited before with the terrible old man. Uh, yeah. House on the high hill and He's like uh, Stephen King, those New Englanders, man. They yeah. Get and, and probably the first Kingsport story. Yeah. Is it now? Okay. So this is setting the precipice for the other. (laughs) Sure. Definitely. Definitely. It's like, you know, it's close to uh, Arkham. And, uh, you know, but also it's, it's. uh... (laughs) Well, the stone of a man's heart. The soil of a man's heart. (laughs) (laughs) That's the vibe I get. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's no, like the way that um, the way in Stephen King has created how um, uh, dairy is like corrupts everything around it. Yeah. Like I feel like that's what this is too. Definitely. In a way. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Kingsport is like it's not Arkham. It is this old city that's been. Corrupted. No, he got sent back to Arkham. He was super happy about it. Oh yeah. It's so much nicer. <laughs> I did thought that was cute. It's a, it's a cute story. Oh yeah, yeah. David, yeah. do you like this one? Is this one of your up there with your I, favorites? Or I, I've always liked this. I've liked it because of the perspective. Yeah. The half insider, half not. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's like you're, right. you're part of it, but not. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a I think a unique perspective. Or like going home to your class reunion of thirty years, and like you've moved away, and everybody else stayed there. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that vibe. Yeah, yeah. That's no, definitely, vibe. definitely. I would um, read again on Christmas. So I think we should read it. That'd be kind of a fun right. little. <laughs> yeah. On Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, um, definitely during the holidays would be fun. Yeah, are does is there does Lovecraft have other stories that are like that take place in the kind of in a holiday um, vibe like that? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't no. think so. Well, because yeah. you know, like, we have um, like Mr. James, right? He has um, stuff that's very Christmassy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Howard had a, a Christmas story. Mm-hmm. He did. That he actually wrote when he was in high school. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, but it's a, it's a western. But I don't think imagine Lovecraft, that. I don't think Lovecraft has anything more holidayish. Mm. I think I think the closest thing, and uh, I, I'm thinking of the uh, the the uh, military uh, the armed forces radio version of uh, the Dunwich Horror uh, takes place on 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 All Hallows Eve. But I think that's 
just a a a a uh, contrivance for the the radio play. I think they mm-hmm. added that. I think. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure they added that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, no, 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 not a lot of uh, holiday stuff in uh, the Cthulhu mythos. But this is one of those kind of like. Yeah, going back to your old town, gonna hang out with friends and see what's going down, kind of thing. Mm. And you know, this is this is like you know the Lovecraftian version of going to the bar that you used to go to, or the the bar that you weren't old enough to go to when you were in high school, but you're old enough to go to now when you're visiting friends and family on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh hey. I guess this is where I'd be going if I was old enough. And hey, here's a bunch of people from high school I know. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. So so one thing that and that we're gonna see in other Lovecraftian, you know, protagonists, we don't mm-hmm. get the guy's name. Yes. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah. But we also don't get the name of the god. Yeah. Yeah. Lovecraft doesn't name it. The the Tolsha, that or however you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. That comes from chaosium. Yeah, yeah. Wait a second. Wait a second. So he didn't. Uh, he didn't name this. He didn't use this name at all. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Good. I thought I was going crazy. I was like I never actually heard this word spoken, but I don't remember hearing it in the story. And I thought maybe because I was listening to it while I was walking, I was like maybe I missed it. But now so, I know he actually yep. never. So this is a device of the gaming stuff, man. Yeah. Apparently, I've been missing out. I need to be a part of. I need to be in a Call of Cthulhu game. Who's running one? Not me right now. <laughs> we, well, maybe we we may have to cut. We we we'll talk. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk. So so here's the 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 thing, and and Chaosium is absolutely important in Lovecraft, basically getting its second wind in the '80s. But the nature of the of a role playing game is that you stat things that Lovecraft said couldn't be described. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Chaosium takes this green flame god that Lovecraft doesn't give a name, and they give this name, and there's like a, it's kind of based on a a Greek um, underground god. The name slightly changed. Okay. And they give him powers. So what they say, they take out, is that he is basically one of the gods that encircle Azathoth. Uh And that he is this... And so as Azathoth is this all-powerful yet idiot god that you can't really approach, they're going second best thing, his servitor. Mm-hmm. Oh, who can who's closer to him and they give a an ability and again if you're i don't well you may come up in a game but that one of his powers is that when you're around him you can't lie or it'll you, it'll be revealed if you lie okay um and 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 i don't and i didn't really get from it but it makes sense that him being a servant of azathoth but that, or a part of the court of Azathoth, but that that comes from Chaosia. Okay. And so a lot of the things, like the names, the powers, but I also kind of like what Lovecraft did. That here's this all-powerful god, but he can't move. 
it's it's stuck there where they they summoned it. All right. So that's interesting. Cool. Yeah. And and there's a lot of things that Lovecraft doesn't. I mean, less so as he gets older, but a lot of stuff Lovecraft doesn't bother to name. Mm-hmm. Just like mm-hmm. and you know, they knew who he was worshiping. There was no reason for this semi-outsider to share it with us outsiders. Sure, yeah. That makes sense. And, yeah. And um, the worm that walks, mm-hmm. they, who, they th- who really love that is the D&D writers. Yep, that's very true. And we're going to see that and basically a version in all but name in the epic um, handbook in 3.5 mm-hmm. where they create like the big bad guy is the worm that walks. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've definitely used the worm that walks or, uh, kind of like I, I, I did a, uh, kind of like, uh, somewhere between Raza Ghoul and the worm that walks, but it was all like beetles and, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, I didn't mean Raza Ghoul. I mean, um, um, Abdul, Abdul Al-Hazred, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, they're the same freaking dude, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah, no, it's the same dude, but... <laughs> I mean, he played him, essentially, in that um, Doom that came to Gotham. Exactly. Oh, sure, yeah. And, and yeah. for a moment there, when you said Beatles, I was thinking Ringo Starr. Oh, <laughs> gotcha, yeah, yeah. I always go to the mummy. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, movie, like, the... <laughs> Like yeah, awesome. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure I stole it directly from the mummy. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh Tazucha, uh, uh Tolzucha or whatever I said before. <laughs> Tol yeah, Tolzucha, I think is what is, is is really kind of an interesting god, just really kind of an interesting concept for like a game, but also in a story you have this like green pillar that everyone's worshiping but it's never really explained it's not named it's just this thing that everyone kind of goes oh yeah this is what we're here for this is awesome and it's just tradition it's just it's it's part of the festival i mean it's, i get caught up and excited when i see christmas lights too yeah yeah it's like i mean that's what it's <laughs> i'm i'm not a religious person but when i see like a big christmas tree or a bunch of lights like, and stuff ooh. like that i'm like oh this is cool I, I'm with you. Yeah. I mean, this is what this is what I'm getting from. <laughs> we, we we need to put Tolzucha back in the festival. Definitely, right. Definitely. It was all about you know sacrificing people to this big grain plane, not riding on the back of Bakis and people with masks. <laughs> you know, we yeah, we need no, I'm sorry. I everybody. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 a very interesting, fun, like there's there's all these traditions that are involved in this holiday thing and then everyone, you know, stands around Tolzucha and it's no, no, I get it. I get it. It's 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 an elder god, older world holiday festival. I don't know. Maybe it came from uh from Hyborian times. I'm not quite sure, but <laughs> it's 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 pretty cool. I mean, it's 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 got some some grisly stuff to it, but it's you know, not too bad, not too terrible. 
Um, you know, it's 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 not like it's a festival about like a little kid who's you know in 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 like six months gonna get nailed to wood, you know, or whatever spring calendar. But yeah. <laughs> And, and and to best of my knowledge, too, no one really picked it up until Chaosium picked it up again. Okay, all right. I'm not aware of any other stories in between. Yeah, no. It it seems like the kind of thing that Lynn Carter would have been like. You know what this needs? <laughs> this needs a a two page story, a two page poem. Yeah, and, and there may be. It's just I'm not aware of them. Yeah, neither am I. Neither am I. All right. Well, I mean, I don't know how much more we can wring out of that green flame that is Tolzucha. I think that's about it. Yeah. Tolzucha looks like a Pokemon. That's that's one thing I want to say. Like a green flame with a face on it. That's like a, a wacky earth elemental for D&D, or a wacky fire elemental for D&D, or, or a Pokemon, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Although, one last thing about festival. Sure. Do you know who just loved the festival? Uh, no. Clark Ashton Smith. Oh, oh yeah, I did know that. Yeah, he just he would he would write Lovecraft and say, you know, and it was kind of it, it very Clark Ashton Smithy. You know, he said well, maybe named all the problems with it, but this one's in my heart. Yeah, and I definitely see that in some of the later Clark Ashton Smith creatures. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right, uh, we've got a middle part up next, and then after that, we're talking about Annihilation, the uh, 2018 film. And yeah, we'll be talking about that in a moment. But first, hey, why not check out pgttcm.com and check out all the cool printers that you can get for sale just click on the topmost part that has like the printer pictures and stuff like that. And you can get yourself a 3D printer for under $200, a resin printer for under $200. Heck, I think the, uh, the, the uh, filament printer, you could probably get for about $150 right now. But check it out and uh, check the show notes for other savings that you can get. Got all kinds of cool stuff. And yeah. See you in the next part. In Legacy Door, a lurker from space casts a shadow over time. We opened our eyes upon the human world. We found ourselves lying on an especially yielding bed in a room displaying scattered relics of their shallow past, tied together by more recently produced items meant to blend with the relics. Typical. A sensitive journalist dreams of unknown lives. It seems like every time I close my eyes, they get stronger. I can't even say the last time I had a normal sleep, let alone a dreamless one. An outspoken lawyer defends the suspect in an unspeakable crime. And that client was Jonathan Strauss, held for the murder of his daughter Abigail and her companion Harrison Reese. And a stalwart investigator tries to drag it all into the light. Some of the Reeses and the Strausses have been involved with something that seems to include an obsession with bloodlines and longevity for at least decades. Legacy Door is a weekly cosmic horror mystery podcast. 
an ensemble of actors tell a story, also available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. Available now. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between fine loose-leaf and common broken-leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, They have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. I want to tell you all about something. I want to tell you about a guy I know. And a place. This is Dave's Corner of the Podcast. It is awesome. It's gonna go fast. It's not the interview pod. Ha ha. It's me, Dave, and this is the part of the show where I talk to you if I don't have uh, someone to interview, and so today you and I are going to talk. But about what, Farmer Dave? We're going to talk about the love of H.P. Lovecraft's life, Sonia Green. Now, that may have been an oversimplification. He, she more than likely was the only woman that she, he ever kissed, at least romantically, maybe kissed at all. And um, they were married. So let's talk a little bit about Lovecraft's wife, Sonia Green. Sonia is referred to as a Russian because... She was born in the Russian Empire and immigrated to the United States. But where she was born was actually now in the Ukraine. And it is common knowledge that she was Jewish. So, Lovecraft, who is an anti-Semite and who hates Eastern European foreigners, married one? That's actually not going to be as bizarre as it might sound, and we're going to go in a little bit about that. But first, a little bit more about Sonia. Now, when she was 16, uh, Green married a man uh, who was 10 years older. And he he also was a Russian, and he anglicized his name to Green, they had two children, a son who unfortunately died pretty young, and a daughter named Carol. Carol's going to marry a man named Weld, and Carol's going to be kind of famous in her own way, 
at least at the time, she becomes a journalist. Uh, she uh, collaborates, becomes basically the ghostwriter and PR guy for Frank Buck, the, the famous big game hunter. Uh, writes at least one book about him. Um, she is living with her mother when her mother remarries Lovecraft. They don't get along. She basically leaves the house uh, and will not live under the same roof as Lovecraft. And the reason why it's never really stated, but more than likely, it was just Lovecraft wanted things done his way. And, you know, uh, she was very, Carol was this very sort of independent woman who wanted things her way and she wasn't going to let this new guy come in the house and run things over because she was pretty much an adult though when they were married when uh, Lovecraft and her uh, mother got married Sonia's green uh, Sonia Green's father died probably when she was pretty young there's not a lot of information on him and she, her mother uh, basically immigrated to the United States. Sonia and her brother uh, went to school in England for a while before mother brought him to America. This is just me speculating. As best we know, the only country you know that Lovecraft ever went to outside the United States was Canada. That he, you know, he loved Quebec of all places, but he was definitely an Anglophile. And so I think the fact that even at a very young age that Sonia was educated in England would have been attractive to him. Now, we don't have a lot on Sonia's first husband, Samuel. Like most, for lack of a better word, commoners or, you know, the regular people during that time, we don't have... A lot of information, a lot of documentation. Uh, so the main source about him is Lovecraft himself. Now, when I say this, remember the source. This is basically a man talking about his wife's ex. So there's maybe accurate, it may be true, it may be biased. He was probably an alcoholic. Again, would not have been uncommon. He was probably physically abusive. And unfortunately, at the time, that probably was not uncommon. Samuel Green committed suicide. Again, unfortunately, that probably would not have been uncommon for the time. But to best of my knowledge... The so the sole source of that is going to be Lovecraft. Now, Sonia is going to do well for herself, actually. Uh, she's going to run a hat shop. And enough that she is going to do well. She's going to be solid middle class. Enough that she's going to become a patron of the arts. Especially the part of the Amateur Fiction Writers uh, Associations 
And that's how she's going to meet Lovecraft. Now, there are two that I know of surviving stories by her. One is called Four O'Clock. In fact, I was not familiar with that until I started doing a little bit double researching or checking in to her for this podcast. And it's not bad. I mean, it's it, it it's probably amateurish, but for what it is, I don't think it's a bad story. And we're going to see some tropes that are definitely Lovecraft-like. And it's also very interesting how, you know, it's about 4 o'clock in the morning, which, you know, I'm not sure how well they psychologically, you know, understood that, but I believe it's between three and four is often referred to as the witching hour or the devil's hour. And that Sonia Green nailed it. And I, I don't believe that that was really well known until modern psychology. Now, and it, a lot of it has to do with REM sleep and people waking up in the middle of dreams. This is where we have this sort of intense psychological experience. You know, anybody that's woken up at that time has probably undergone those. And it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't really identified until later psychologists. And Sonia Green nailed it. Um, now, people were having this experience before, you know, modern psychology got a handle on it. And, and it's possible that maybe she just randomly picked a time. But, you know, as the story goes, there's some very good concepts. The story itself is, I don't want to say boring, but, I mean, it, it's pulp. Where, you know, very, very few pulp writers are really good writers. And we're going to, I mean, we're going to be few of them. Uh, Bradbury, Azamov, Robert Block, you know, then you get arguably people like Robert E. Howard, C. Barry Quinn. But the bulk of the pulp writers, even the good ones, or the good ones, the respected ones, they had good ideas. Lovecraft had these great ideas, great concepts, but, yeah, you know, you're listening to a show about the Cthulhu mythos, so your mileage may vary. But it's, it's worth checking out. Uh, you can get an audio version on YouTube. Um, the other story, though, was first read, I read it, it was published under Lovecraft, but it was a revision, and the horror at St. Martin's Beach. And, you know what, honestly, that's a good story. It's one of my favorite mythos stories, and it was written by Sonia Green, and then revised under Lovecraft, which is how he made his money. Uh, most, a lot of his, most money he made in he was revising other people's work, some of which is published under his name. I think it's published now more 
under hers or both of their names. But when I first came across it, like in the early 90s, I'm pretty sure the the anthology collection that I found it in had said it was a Lovecraft work. It may have mentioned something about it being a revision. There's a very cute story that's involved with this. First of all, it's a great book. It, I, I definitely highly recommend people read it. Or great short story. But there's a cute story involved about how it came along. And basically Lovecraft, Howard, and Sonia were walking by a lake at night and something, an animal, maybe a person, was behind them and stepped on a, a twig and it broke and made a very loud snapping sound. And they both jumped. And then that they saw there was nothing there, they laughed. And Sonya suggested that Lovecraft write a story about their experience. And he suggested that she write about it. And she was so moved by this that she gave Lovecraft his first romantic kiss, maybe his first kiss. And his mom had some very sort of weird feelings about sharing emotions and physical contact with him as a child. So it's possible it could have been his first contact, but definitely his first romantic kiss. It's kind of sweet. You don't really hear a lot of sweet stories about Lovecraft. But I like that one. It also, spoilers, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this next time. The relationship doesn't work out. Dot, 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 hint. You notice that I didn't say they got divorced. And that's going to be an issue. But the relationship didn't work out. And part of that, I mean, so, yeah, we're going to explore that in, in the next episode. But we don't hear a lot about the good times. And you know what? It wasn't really all bad times. Um, one of the things is that Lovecraft and Sonya may not have been what we consider now heads over heels romantically in love. Well, that wasn't that uncommon. That's not going to be that unusual in a relationship in the 1920s and the 1930s. People very rarely did this Romeo and Juliet situation back then where they married out of love. In general, you married because of financial stability. You liked each other. You were companioned. You could work together. This, mad, this sort of, I'm so in love with the person I'm going to marry is a much later in general in at least in practice than the Lovecraft's relationship. So there's a lot been said because of, you know, that they weren't necessarily head over heels. You know, well, they were both older. It was her second marriage. So I think we should be really careful reading into that. But we're going to share a little bit more 
And a little bit more next time, we're going to talk about how this racist anti-Semitic ended up marrying a Eastern European Jewish woman. And I hope that uh, you listen or an in on next time when we talk a little bit more about it. Um, moving on to the next part, just to remind everyone, if you like what you're hearing, like this episode, share it with people, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook, we're under People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, we're on Twitter, I don't really check Twitter, so it's just kind of the automatic feed if you just want to listen to us on Twitter for some reason, you can find us on any place, any podcatchers that are out there. Of course, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, the YouTube, where this episode will be. And, uh, yeah. Hey, everyone, it's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50, hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80, guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes, get a glary. This part of the show doesn't have a theme song. This part of the show doesn't have a theme song, yeah. Dave and DB and could you go to the movies? Hopefully next week we'll have a real theme song. Hey everyone, we are back to talk about Annihilation, 2018 science fiction psychological thriller. It's got Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac. I mean, you get to see see Poe Dameron and, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Luke Skywalker's mom do it. Ugh. Sorry, that's terrible. Yeah, I was going to describe it as Luke Skywalker's mom fighting the color out of space, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, no. Uh, this, this, this is the color out of space. This is the testament of uh, Randolph Carter. I'm... I was really happy with Jennifer Jason Lee being in this film also. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. But yeah, this is um I gosh, how to start? Like first of all, we Alex Garland is a director of this film, right? And mm-hmm. he has done some incredible films. <laughs> like everything from he did Men, he did Ex Machina, um uh-huh. gosh, like which that movie in and of itself was incredible. Mhm. I mean, so have you guys seen any of those films? Uh, didn't he also direct Sunshine? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and 
What was it? Didn't he do Children of Men? No, no. Uh, he did a 28, 28 Days Later. That's what it was. 28 Days Later, yeah. I, for my head, for some reason, 28 Days Later and Children of Men seem to mash over each other. I don't know why. London. I Yeah, maybe that's what it is. But no, no. So, like, I this director just does these incredibly dreamy films in general. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. I feel like that's what this movie is a perfect way. I, and I think he even himself said that he didn't reread the novel because he wanted this to be a dream of the novel. Sure. And it, okay. it really was. I mean, the way that he focused on, um, see, I know her character as Ghostbird, but mm-hmm. um, the botanist or the biologist, and she's, God, what is her character's name? Lena <laughs> took me yeah. a sec. Yeah. So her character, um, what was that? Gosh, I even lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, I thought like, uh, what was I saying about, Oh, somebody else pick it up. I'm sorry. I totally just lost derailed myself. So I will say that absolutely one of the most beautiful movies. Yeah. Absolutely. Ever. The, the shimmer, this unworldliness, but also great practical effects. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. The 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 bear and the alligator, those are those are practical. And if yeah. they had done it CGI, maybe somebody like me wouldn't have noticed consciously, but I think we would have picked it up subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Right, so it, the alien looked very was obviously CGI. Like sure. or, yeah. or the mimic of her. Yeah. yeah. And that to me was the only thing that I was a little bit like, womp, womp. but once it kind of played out, it was, it was still, it became beautiful. And, and I realized why it had to look the way it had to look. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there were so many differences and I hate to do this, be one of those people that are like the book and the movie, but I think I like the movie better. Okay. And, and I have to admit, I ha- I've not read Southern Reach. Yeah. No? Neither have I. There is. So, uh, I, I do know that there were some changes in it, but, but. Well, they, they kind of pinpoint some things that make more sense. Like once, you know, like for instance, when they all arrive at the camp base and they're and the camp is set up when they wake up and they were like, what? Yeah. In the book, they've been, they have been hypnotically suggested to do this. Hmm. And so there was all these like places of where the hypnotic suggestions were put into their, they were programmed so that yeah. they could take it, endure the, the shimmer. Okay. Interesting. And it, because everybody that nobody would come back from the shimmer, like mm-hmm. they, they were like, well, nobody's come back. That's so they had to, they found that if they programmed them, maybe somebody would come back. So they, they, they kind of did this, like in the book, at least they, they set up to where it was like this program and there was different teams that went in and then, mm-hmm. But each team was programmed to like have a like if they were having a fear response, their controller would be would say a term or whatnot. And honestly, when um, Jennifer um, Jason Lee's character uh, at the end is, I mean, not to give how to this gives it away, I guess. But she's saying when she says annihilation and she was like she gives that kind of uh, monologue about um, life expansion and things like that and then mm-hmm. says. Um, onto annihilation in the book when she says that it's a it's supposed to be a trigger for them to kill themselves i I'd, I'd heard that yeah and that, yeah that's the the whole title is based on that 
and they downplayed it in the movie, but for, took it out. Which I thought was kind of silly. That was a, a little silly that they got rid of that term, but I liked um, everything else. And I mean, that moment where um, uh, Prentice, I think, is uh, she's standing in the field and they look at the the just the humans that are have been restructured into plant life or plant life yeah. that's restructured with humans. And it's so beautiful. I mean, almost makes me cry. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Guys, sorry. I'm like, obviously feel very strongly about this film. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I feel like it's an underrated film. It doesn't get enough love um, because I guess it, of its cast. I don't know. And again, I mean, not to blame every movie we watch on the, um, uh, you know, on the uh, production companies and, but I don't think that they marketed it well. In fact, my understanding is that there was only one trailer. Oh. Yeah. And that so, yeah, I, I just, I, I think they could have marketed it better and gotten a better audience. Was the Pokemon looking deer in the trailer or was it also in the movie? Because I remember. It was also in the movie. Okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. Did you cool. see the movie? Yeah, of course I saw the movie. I didn't just watch the trailer for two well, hours. Well, <laughs> I mean, well, that was that moment because the deer was a solo deer and then it split. Yeah. I, I just thought like those little nuances were so gorgeous and so yeah. thoughtful and like such visual poetry for us as the audience, even though, I mean, I know it's CGI, I know, but it's like when CGI is done right and it's meant to be like in this weird uncanny valley for specifically for this film. Yeah. It just makes sense. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. And the uncanny valley aspect of it leads me back to think of Algernon Blackwood's, um, uh, not the woods. What's it called? Uh, uh, what's that? Willows. Willows. The willows. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's like something that is like uncanny about this 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 thing that's following them. And also, uh, Lovecraft like makes reference to that thing in the color out of space of kind of like a, a, a otter or something like that that has like unusual proportions. Totally. Yeah. And and it's 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 like there's you know it's it's ah the mutant bear the the alligator. Gosh, uh, that po- bear is so freaking scary. Oh yeah. Have yeah, you like, seen the like there's some the like bear's art not in the movie in the book, right? What's that? The bear's not in the book. It's not in the book. Okay. That's what I'm saying. There's some. I literally feel like this movie. I mean, honestly, it's only barely like the book and just in a just a rough sense it's so beautiful on its own i Mm -hmm. I feel like having read the books now i'm like oh i wish i had it because it was so nice i'm sorry that my um my alexa keeps going off my my violin i hadn't noticed um (laughs) i keep hearing it going boom boom um just let me know about the weather uh and it's it does uh it 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 does something for me like I, and this this film has never I've not seen in a long time as far as like I feel like there's a few other films that have this same quality that came out and I really like a, a handful of time. There was like the synergy about it, like Interstellar came out, The Arrival, mm-hmm. and those films all had that same kind of like uh, dreamy science fiction, like um, kind of like coherence and melancholia. Have you seen those films? 
I'm trying to remember if I have or not. I'm going to say no. They're like a, it's like, like almost like a Lovecraft light, right? Okay. So like you have these tinges of something that's horrific, but it's made beautiful by what we're watching on the screen or like their experiences. Yeah. Yeah, It's, I don't know. I, like I said, I must be, I must be feeling kind of like, woo about it today, but it's a, it's one of my, it's, it's up there with one of my top, it's up my top 100 films for sure. Yeah. It really makes me think of the color out of space because of the fact that they describe the color out of space as being like unperceivable and very much kind of like, I mean, for me, it makes me think everything's kind of, ooh, and everything's kind of like moving to its own accord. Uh, the plants are no longer what they used to look like. They're now kind of like, a little bit everything's a little bit more beautiful it doesn't necessarily have to you know lovecraft talks about how things are mutated and right but it, it doesn't mean that it has to be like disgusting it, it could be mutated in like a gorgeous beautiful fashion um speaking of mutations did you yeah. guys notice her arm so yes the yes. The, the eight tattoo yeah right that was that the team members the part, that's the part that freaked me out the most well, in the book, she keeps going, I'm not the biologist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And leads you to think that they've absorbed each other. And, yeah. And, and it, uh, my understanding, it almost had that ending. Okay. I to, too. Oh, man. That, that, that her husband would come back. Mm-hmm. My, I, I don't know the exact ending, but the original working ending that they never filmed was going to lead that she was the doppelganger and the husband was the doppelganger and that they were the new Adam and Eve's. That's what I was getting. But, but yeah, that, that eight, you know, the eternity, uh, uh, symbol Mm -hmm. that the part, and it took me, what's, I mean, it took me a while watching it to catch what's going on to realize it was the guy's tattoo that had now become part of her body. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, so, so yeah, that that I thought, not the scariest, but the creepiest, one of the creepiest part of the movie. And kind mm-hmm. of beautiful, and like, um, and like another topic that they talk about in this is like grief and depression and loss, and like, you know, there and the the want for self destruction, mm-hmm. and the fact that the like she was able to kind of bring part of him into herself, and I just oh, so this is so beautiful. Yeah. You know, no, and I mean, I, I saw this in, in the movie theaters, and I, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Okay. So I think that, like most movies I see, the first two acts outshine the third act. I don't think a lot of, I don't think we've got a lot of good third act writers. And I'm not saying it was a bad yeah. third act, but the first I wished- two were the best part. And again, I'm going to be, I'm telling you, I'm so sorry that I keep doing the, oh, in the book. But in the book, (laughs) there was this cool aspect of like, you know how like on the walls of the lighthouse, how like all the spindly branches going up and like Mm -hmm. the ground was moving on the stairwell. Yeah. In, in the book, there were words that the, like, that they, it spelled out and it was like snippets of um, like Bible, esoteric, just Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was just had just a blah, like that. If they just done that, blah, it would have been such a good like moment. Interesting. But I don't know if I could reshoot this film. That would be. I just would add those little bits. <laughs> yeah. 
Be like, excuse me, sir, you need to reshoot this just for this part. I need it. Yeah, yeah no, this is a gorgeous movie. This is a beautiful, gorgeous movie. Um, is it a psychological horror film? Yeah. Is it science fiction? Yeah. Is it a science fiction psychological horror film? Of course it is. Yeah, I mean, we used it as part of our topics on um, our panel about um, horror and science fiction. <laughs> There's definitely a, like beyond the like obvious thing with the scare, like with the um, alligator and the um, the bear that imitates human voices. That was yeah. the part. So eight <laughs> was the creepy part. That was the the sort of scary shutter part. Was oh, yeah. Certainly. Yeah. It's screaming, help me. Boy, I was, oh, yeah. I, I was rewatching this the other day and I have this friend named Brian who was on the, my, my old podcast on um, with, and he is like, he is, he and I are on this team that believe that this film is going to be a cult film eventually. Yeah. And to some extent, I think it is, but maybe yeah. not, not full, but yeah, I think it, I think it will grow um, in time. So I'm going to correct myself a little bit about, about the ending. Mm. Where it does have, you know, uh, uh, the biologist and her husband embrace. But the sure. other thing that's at the ending is the sky starts filling up with meteorites. Mm. Yeah. The, the I like started, that. Yeah, but they, they decided for whatever reason, probably, I'm going to guess because they thought they'd get a sequel, they decided not to shoot that. I also <laughs> bet because it seemed a little nihilistic. Yeah. yeah. Well, dang, that's... That that sounds like a fun ending. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Especially with a name like Annihilation. Type thing. Yeah. Yeah, so no, I, no. Okay. The other thing I think it does very good is isolation is fear. Yes. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. You know, and the fact that they do come across things like the Ford and the, the house and the plants that are shaped like people. It's still isolated, but it's just unisolated enough to make it scarier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. It, it it very much feels like in that way. It feels like a video game, or like a short story, or um, uh, trying to think of like a a uh, uh, first person narrative like a TV show or a video game or something like that. And I think this movie would have served better as like a TV show where you slowly learn more and more each episode. Um, yeah. I, like I, I could see this being cut up into pieces so that there's a little bit more tension. I mean, at times it is a little bit slow moving and I'm like, you could have a cut right here, throw in a Burger King ad, decrease tension, put the show back on, increase the tension some more, you know, go back three seconds, have the music start swelling again, and then put the action in. But, I mean, that's just my brain working. Uh, but, yeah, no, no, I think this this is a beautiful, beautiful, and there's just so much to take in in this movie that I think it would actually benefit for being, like, split up, not into, like, multiple movies, into like a series where you can explore everyone just a little bit more and i think that would also be a little bit beneficial more to like make you feel more about these people so when yeah. bad stuff happens to them you feel really bad and like why not have a bottle episode where it's just the uh, bear pig you know 
where's the bear pig come from? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, no. I, I, I think this is this is a gorgeous film. I like the soundtrack. I like the cast. It's 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 a lot of fun, even though it's 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 terrifying. It's it's it it feels like an adventure. It's it's it feels like a, a a role playing game. It feels like a Delta Green. It feels like Call of Cthulhu, uh, a Dungeons and Dragons scenario. But yeah, yeah, I like it a lot. No, definitely. No, definitely. I agree that there is sort of this sort of role-playing aspect or you could come with a role-playing version of this. Mm -hmm. Oh, Um, totally. One of the things why I think maybe, and I'm just going to throw this out and this is me just talking, that they didn't maybe focus on everyone else, that this was really meant to be a Natalie Portman vehicle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which, and from a point, I mean, I think she, she nailed the part. And I think she did very good playing against type, but I think I think that they may focus more on her than the rest of the cast because of that. Sure, sure. Well, and she's the storyteller in the book too. Yeah, yeah. Her character kind of is part of the storyteller. Her and um, I want to say one of the like people, the director of the authority. And which there's a whole bunch about them, which is really interesting. And in the book, the um the the comet comes thirty years prior instead of three. Huh. And she is the definition of the unreliable narrator. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is one of my favorite tropes. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Um, because do we really not know if she is or isn't? Her doppelganger? We don't know. Because okay, she's so changed yeah. by the 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 shimmer that it's hard to tell she's not who she was once when she first entered anyway. Sure. Okay. Okay. That's that's what I thought. <laughs> that's what I thought I was gathering up. Because like like that tattoo, like it's like it it's also it was on Anya, um, her character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was on the body of the soldier that was on the wall. Yeah. And it was on her husband. Yeah. And I think it's like, isn't it like a, it's an infinity symbol, but it's like a snake eating its tail as well. It, it could have been. Uh, I thought it was a Mobius strip at first, but. Yeah, I thought it was. And I remember where it really popped out with the soldier. And I thought it was an eight. But now oh. I'm going to have to rewatch it now on a bigger screen. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't, I don't have that big a screen to maybe see the details. But um, which is again, I'm gonna mispronounce it. The Orobus, no, the snake eating its tail. Oh, Ouroboros. Oh, Ouroboros. Yes. yes, which is this sort of, uh, it's a rebirth sig- uh, symbol, and mm-hmm. that goes with that. This is the new Adam and Eve, the new life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Crazy fun stuff. And oh, yeah. whose who's pick was this? Me. Gretchen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 it was, it was hard for me to figure out whose pick this is. It's like, well, this feels like it could be a Dave movie, but this could also be a Gretchen movie. Well, Dave, Dave is also a fan of this movie. Oh yeah. yeah no, I, I'm I, weirdly, I, I, I have I the really next like three it. pick or no, I, oh. 
I have two of the next few picks. Okay. Yeah. Wild. All right. Well, that's that's exciting. That's exciting. So yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's annihilation. I mean. Gosh, there's so much more we could talk about. <laughs> I know it's like I could go on and on and be like, all right, remember when she was giving a lecture about cervical yeah. cancer cells? <laughs> like, I mean, just like all of the representation, all of it's kind of like how with it follows how we mm-hmm. um, it's it's there's so many things that you could grab at in this film that and use as symbology. It's yeah. Pretty incredible. Yeah. And, and I think that makes a good film in general, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. If you're thinking about it after you've watched it, mm-hmm. it's a good it's a good story. Yeah. No, no. And in in the degree of how much I'm going to drag think, a few times. Yeah. In in the degree of um, how much I'm going to think about after watching it, like what did that mean? Is is that what I thought it meant and stuff like that? It's not quite Twin Peaks, but it's more like on the level of like Akira. Like yeah. a lot of shit happened and I know there's a lot of symbology in this and yeah, no. <laughs> I just love the plant people. Just, I may get a tattoo of it. It's just so gorgeous and such a, like a, a beautiful metaphor of life yeah. and it's just, Oh, it was just so good. There was just yeah. so many good things. Yeah. Man. I'm, I'm definitely going to watch this movie again. Yeah. So, I recommend yeah. I mean, yeah. to me, this is like a comfort film at this point now because it's like I've watched it so many times. I've literally watched it eight times in the past, like, four months. Gotcha. <laughs> That's cool. And, and there are – so the first time you're getting the story. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. The second time you can get the details. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I like real that. quickly, I... too, before we leave, just because you mentioned it, it follows. They made the announcement this week that they're going I to know. Sequel. They oh, follow. Okay. Cool. It's gonna be a they follow or something like that. Yes, they follow. And I'm, I'm well, we'll talk about this maybe on another show. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I think it's a perfect ending, but we'll see. Yeah, no, no, it, it does feel like a perfect ending. And we can talk about it for a little bit right here, but as like I understand that. That movie was pretty big. That movie was pretty powerful. And that movie probably made a lot of money. So for them not to attempt a sequel, for them not to like just like, well, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, whatever they do. Um, I mean, like the main character had younger siblings who, you know, maybe they'll age up into being the main character, you know? But my understanding is going to have the same cast. But Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I figure they could either do, like, totally different cast or it's, like, the same cast and, you know, they just add someone new and kill someone off each movie. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll see. Or, or they do the Nightmare on Elm Street thing where they, like, introduce a new friend to the group and then kill off everyone else. <laughs> All right. Okay. So do we know what's going on next week? Hmm. Uh, so I know that the, the main monster or is going to be, and I'm not going to, mispronounce its name, but it's going to be an aspect of Shogni- not Shognigaroth, uh, Yogg-Sagoth. Oh, yes. Ubo Satla. And Ubo I believe... Ubo Sit. Sorry. <laughs> Good dog. 
And we're also going to be talking about the Tingler, which makes me go, well, oh. we need to get rid is of the... Is it the, the Tingler the... or is it the Goblin? I thought it was Lost Boys. Oh, no, it's oh, Lost Boys. You're right. right. I think it's Lost Boys. It's Lost Boys, because we it's had Lost two Boys. Tinglers. Lost Boys. Whose pick is Lost Boys? I think it was mine. Okay, okay. Okay, cool. I was like, I thought, I know I picked a couple of vampire films that we're doing this yeah. year, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> no, mine were Nosferatu and um, The Addiction. Yeah. And I was going to say vampire movies I picked were, I think I just picked uh, The Vampire Lovers. Which was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Glorious. Yep, yep. All right, Lost Boys. Lost, Lost Boys, Boys next don't week. Cry, <laughs> I'm I'll gonna do more. I promise. put on some chains and get out my saxophone. Yes. Oh my God, he just played here recently, by the way, Tim Capella. That's fun. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. We'll see you next week. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram. Check us out on on. I guess we're still on X, but I don't know. Uh, check us out on YouTube, uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, pgttcm.com. And yeah, thank you again for listening. Thanks. Bye. We'll see Bye. you next week. Bye. That was a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got all like, I, you know, here's what happened, honestly. What I didn't sure, want to announce on the radio is that there was somebody outside my door and they were like doing some like gutter work or something and then uh -huh. we're talking super loud and i was all like okay that's distracting okay did you hear me open the door i i muted my mic because i was like hey can y'all like just be quiet <laughs> oh i didn't recognize you muting your mic i did not hear that yeah. okay good so good i did mute it properly okay because i was like god dang I'm afraid because we had a helicopter fly over the house no oh. And my dryer then went off and then it was like, I was like, man, but yeah, I'm sorry if I got derailed there, like, like a ding dong, because I was caught up in the moment of describing how exciting I was about this film. And then like, like totally derailed myself. No problem. No sweat. I, you know me, I'm like, I will, I will, I'll, this will keep me up in the middle of the night. I'll be like, yeah, what no, did I say? And, and I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter at all. I know. I know. <laughs> And people, people listen because of that enthusiasm. I hope so, because that's. I, I mean, honestly, I think that people just need to see that that film. It's such a good one. There's oh, so yeah. many really like dreamy horror. Um, I I I almost want to call it its own like subgenre. It's like dreamy science fiction horror. <laughs>